Hello, my name is Emily Clark. I head up the tax team at Travis Smith, and I'd like to welcome you to the fifth episode in our Travelling Seamlessly Global Mobility podcast series. In this series, members of the Travis Smith Global Mobility team will talk to you about the implications of moving your people and operations into and out of different countries, and also look at situations where members of your team may need to work in more than one country. In previous episodes, we've discussed the tax issues that can arise for employees who come to the UK for short periods of time. We've talked about the rules that can apply to non-resident directors that come to the UK, and also about when overseas remote working can create a taxable presence for the employer. In this episode, Kulsim Hardy and Holly Norman are going to talk about the employment tax issues that can arise where a non-resident, that's a non-UK resident, employee is employed by a UK company, but they're working remotely from the UK part of the time. In this post-COVID world where hybrid working is commonplace, non-UK resident employees are increasingly exploring the possibility of working in their home jurisdiction and in the UK. Kulsum and Holly will explore the potential tax liabilities for both the employee and the employer in this arrangement, as well as the payroll obligations for the employer. To find out more about the issues discussed in this podcast, the Travis Smith Global Mobility Team and how we can help with your global mobility projects, you can visit our website www.travismith.com and search for Global Mobility. And now over to Kulsum and Holly. Hello and welcome to our fifth podcast in the Global Mobility Series. I'm Holly Norman, an associate in our asset management tax team here at Travis Smith. And today I'm joined by Colseem Hardy, Knowledge Council in our Incentives and Remuneration team. Today we will be talking about the employment tax issues that might arise for employers when their employees are working remotely overseas in their home jurisdictions for part of the time. In this podcast, we'll be talking about the treatment of employees, but it should be noted that different rules may apply to directors and also to consultants who are self-employed. Some of the issues relating to these categories of individuals are discussed in our earlier podcast in this Global Mobility series, which we would encourage you to check out. Given the differing and sometimes complex issues that a UK employer needs to think about, the first step is to establish some basic facts about the employee and the nature of the working arrangement. Getting the rules wrong can result in penalties, delays and business disruptions, so preparation and early action is key. Important questions to ask include, Where does the employee currently live? Are they also tax resident in the same jurisdiction? Does the employee have the right to work in the UK? What are the working arrangements? If the employee will only be working in the UK part-time, will they spend the remainder of the time working in their home jurisdiction? Will the flexible working arrangement regarding the time spent working in each jurisdiction be set out in the employee's contract, or will it just fall within the UK employer's flexible working policy? Will the employee have an overseas employer whilst they work in the UK or will they be employed by the UK entity? Who will the employee work for? Once the facts have been established, businesses can begin to consider the immigration, tax and social security implications of the arrangement. In this podcast, we are going to be looking at a specific scenario where we have a UK employer who is looking to engage an employee who is resident in an EU jurisdiction and plans to work in that EU jurisdiction for some of the time. Call soon. Please, could you help us set the scene and provide some details of the scenario for our listeners? 
Thanks, Holly. Yes, today we'll be talking about a situation where we have a UK company looking to employ an individual who's resident in an EU country. The non-resident employee has asked whether they can work from home in their home jurisdiction for three days a week and travel to the UK to work in the employer's office two days a week. And we've also assumed that for the purposes of this podcast, that the employee is tax resident in their home jurisdiction throughout their employment and that they're not engaged as a director. It's worth bearing in mind that over time the employee could become resident in the UK as well as in their home jurisdiction, in which case the terms of any double tax treaty will have to be considered. And this is something that employers need to keep under review in these kinds of working arrangements. We've also assumed that the UK employer does not have any entities or branches set up in the employee's home jurisdiction. And the only business activity or presence that the UK employer will have in the jurisdiction is the employee themselves. The tax and social security considerations are only one aspect of this kind of arrangement. So it's important that the employer also thinks about the commercial and practical issues. So Holly, if the employee isn't tax resident in the UK, do they have to pay any tax on their earnings in the UK? And does their UK employee have any payroll obligations in the UK? The individual's liability to UK income tax on their employment income and the UK employer's payroll obligations needs to be looked at separately. So we'll look at the individual's liability first. The basic charging rule is that non-UK residents will generally only be liable for UK income tax on their employment income from duties performed in the UK, unless those duties are merely incidental to duties performed overseas. Examples of duties that may be merely incidental include arranging meetings and business travel and reading generic business emails that do not relate directly to the employee's role and responsibilities. This is very narrow, is unlikely to apply where the employee is actually performing their usual role in the UK, even just for part of the time on a regular basis. Bear in mind that as we have an employer which is a UK resident entity, the provision under a double tax treaty that allows the home jurisdiction to retain taxing rights over the whole earnings, known as short-term business visitors relief, will not be available here. Therefore, looking at our scenario, if the employee was coming to the UK for two days a week, then the non-resident employee would be liable to UK income tax on the portion of their earnings that relates to those days spent working in the UK. So if 40% of their working time is in the UK and 60% is abroad, their salary would also be split 40-60. Income attributed to duties performed in the UK would be charged to UK income tax. Duties performed abroad would not. It is also worth noting that the employee's home jurisdiction might also tax the individual on their UK income. If the income that the individual receives is also taxable in their home country, then the double tax treaty will usually provide relief to be given through a credit or exemption. This is given after the fact and may not cover all the tax that has been paid in the UK, especially if the rate of tax payable in the home country is lower than the tax payable in the UK. This is something that should be communicated to the employee in early stage and might be a point that the employee will need to take some local advice on. So that's the employee's liability. What about the obligations on the employer in relation to payroll? Does the UK employer need to withhold the UK employment taxes under pay as you earn? Yes, it does, but it isn't as simple as it might seem at first. So the default position is that the UK employer has to deduct UK income tax through payroll under the PAYE system or pay as you earn system. And they have to do this on the entire amount that it pays to the non-UK resident employee. And that's irrespective of the number of days that they work in the UK. 
So in other words, the employer can't just apply PAYE to the pay for work done in the UK. It starts off by having to apply PAYE on the whole amount. But if the employer does want to operate PAYE on just the estimated proportion of earnings that relate to UK workdays, then they need to apply to HMRC for permission to do this under what's called a Section 690 direction. So under a Section 690 direction, the UK employer only has to operate PAYE on what it has agreed with HMRC to be the expected proportion of pay for work done in the UK. It's important, though, that the non-UK resident employee keeps a careful record of their actual overseas and UK workdays in a tax year, as they'll need to reconcile the estimated and actual earnings when they submit their self-assessment return. For example, if in some months they end up only coming to the UK for a single day, they will probably have had too much UK tax deducted and will want to claim a refund. If the UK employer doesn't apply for a Section 690 direction, then the default position applies and they have to operate PAYE on all payments to the non-resident employee. The individual will then be able to claim a repayment of the tax deducted from earnings related to overseas work through self-assessment, but this leads to a clear disadvantage in terms of cash flow. That's the position in the UK, but Holly, what about in relation to the UK company's obligation to operate payroll in the employee's home jurisdiction? Yeah, so this depends on the home jurisdiction's domestic rules and payroll. Um, but a key aspect of this would likely be whether the UK employer has a taxable presence in the employee's home jurisdiction due to the work that the employee is undertaking there. When agreeing to this kind of working pattern, it is really important that the company gets local advice on this issue, as having a taxable presence might not only cause it to have a filing or withholding obligation in the home jurisdiction, but it could also lead to some of the company's trading profits being taxable there. Our colleagues, Hannah and Tom, cover this in the fourth episode of this series, and we would encourage you to have a listen for further details. If the UK employer does have payroll obligations in the employee's home jurisdiction, it will have to ensure that it has the right administrative arrangements in place. It is worth bearing in mind that third-party payroll providers can be engaged to provide these services if required. If the UK employer doesn't have payroll obligations, then the individual will have to account for the relevant tax themselves. To the extent that the employee is also subject to payroll withholding in their home jurisdiction, this could give rise to a double withholding requirement, which would have cash flow implications for the employee. It would then be necessary to consider whether a credit could be obtained, whether an exemption is available. So just to reiterate, everything we've spoken about so far assumes that the individual is a non-UK resident for tax purposes. If they are UK resident, for example, if they spend 183 days or more in the UK in any tax year, or even a dual resident in the UK and elsewhere, then the position is more complex and the liabilities to UK income tax are potentially greater. Failure to operate PAYE will lead to liabilities for the employer. The UK employer could be liable for unpaid income tax, employer and employee NICs, and potentially the apprenticeship levy. Interest and penalties may also apply. It is worth bearing in mind that the costs of non-compliance are only increasing, not just in relation to liabilities for unpaid taxes, but a HMRC inquiry can cost the business a fair amount in terms of management time and also advisors' fees. It is also always worth remembering that any non-compliance also brings reputational risk. So it is worth taking the time to get this right at the outset of any overseas working arrangement. 
Yes, that's a really good point, Holly. So now we'll turn to the implications for social security of our scenario. It's important to remember that the social security position for the employer and employee is different to that for income tax and needs to be considered separately. That's right. The default position is that someone working in the UK has to pay UK social security contributions, which we call national insurance contributions or NICs. However, if someone is only coming to the UK for short periods of time to work, and they don't live in the UK permanently, then they won't want to pay UK NICs as they'll be contributing to a system that they're just not going to benefit from. So the UK has entered into a number of social security agreements with countries around the world to ensure that workers only pay social security in one jurisdiction at a time. The social security protocol agreed between the UK and the EU contains exceptions to the default position, including where an employee is working in two or more states. Under the protocol, where an employee normally works in one or more EU states, as well as the UK, the employee will be subject to contributions in the state in which the employee resides, provided a substantial part of their activity is pursued there. For activity to be substantial, it must amount to more than 25% of the individual's working time or remuneration. So looking at our example again, we have an employee who is resident in their home jurisdiction and will also spend 60% of their working time working in that home jurisdiction. Therefore, based on these facts, we believe it should be possible for the employee to obtain a certificate of coverage from their home authority so they only pay Social Security in their home EU jurisdiction. You should note that the position isn't entirely clear because the protocol is based on regulations that were put in place before this kind of hybrid arrangement was common. For example, does it make a difference if the employee's contract states where they'll work from the outset, as opposed to simply allowing the employee to work flexibly? If a valid certificate is issued by the home jurisdiction, then the UK employer should not have to operate UK NICs. The employee will continue to pay Social Security in the home country instead, but under the terms of the protocol, the UK employer will be treated as having a presence in that home country and will have a liability to Social Security there. This is something the UK employer needs to take into consideration, as it could be that Social Security costs in the home jurisdiction are significantly higher than those in the UK. There is also an administration consideration for the employer here too, and specific arrangements may need to be made with the overseas authority depending on how the working arrangement is structured. Third party providers can be engaged to provide these services if required. We would recommend that employers get local advice on their potential overseas obligations in relation to social security. So we've discussed all the tax implications of this remote working arrangement. Kulsoom, is there anything else that we need to be thinking about? Yes, another key practical consideration is making sure the individual actually has the right to work in the UK. And it's important to remember here that the fact the individual is only working in the UK for part of the time isn't relevant. What's crucial is what they actually do when they are here. That's what counts. And we would suggest that employers plan ahead from an immigration perspective, as this could be a time consuming process. And um, employers will want to sort this out well before the working arrangements commence. Now the UK has left the EU, EU passport holders are likely to need a visa to work in the UK and the employer sponsored route is usually the one that is most suitable, but it'll depend on the activity that's going to be undertaken. And this visa needs to be obtained in advance before travelling to the UK. So why is this so important? Well, failure to comply with the requirements could lead to a situation where the employee is denied entry at the border and could give rise to civil or criminal penalties for illegal working. 
One key aspect of everything we've talked about in this podcast is the communications piece with the non-resident employee or candidate. It's really important to discuss the implications of any remote overseas working arrangement with the individual at an early stage and to also ask the individual the relevant questions. It's also crucial that the employer make sure that the individual understands the potential UK tax implications of working in the UK and of the working arrangement in general at the outset. We hope this has been a helpful podcast on the issues to think about when engaging an employee who wants to work remotely overseas for part of the time. As this kind of working arrangement becomes ever more popular in today's world, with good preparation and understanding of the rules, employers can easily consider accommodating employees or potential employees' requests of this nature without too much of a headache. Thank you for listening, and if you have any questions or want to know more, contact one of the Global Mobility team, details of whom you can find on our website.